Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Armin Vardanyan. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Georgi Parlakov. Georgi, do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, my name is Georgi. I'm a web dev. I live in Bulgaria, and I'm here to talk about testing. Awesome. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, we brought you on to talk about an article about why you don't use Angular test dev, among other things. And it sounds like your approach to testing might be a little bit different from other people. So I'm curious just to get started before we dive into why you don't use testbed, what does it do? All right, so the testbed that comes uh, from the Angular testing package, I guess, it creates, among other things, it creates a module that we use for creating, uh, instantiating component services, etc. during the testing. It can also replace some of those that we have declared in a, in a different module. And I don't know, basically that's about it, I guess. Okay, well, that sounds kind of handy. <laughs> why, why, why not use it then? Yeah, well, it was, it was kind of a journey for me. I started using Angular, basically, Angular 2, that is, basically on the day that it was released. And I, I had a good fortune to, to be part of a team that was doing testing and you know, unit testing and end-to-end -end testing. Mm -hmm. But they were these concepts were both new to me. So at that point, I had been working .NET in a .NET shop or in a few .NET shops that were not actually testing anything. So testing, unit testing was a new concept for me, and we kind of embraced it. You know, Angular says use testbed, and we were using it. And for the longest time, there was, uh, there was not even a, a thought in my mind that we could not use it for, for something, for, for any test, that is. But as time went by, and as I kind of got some experience with doing the tests, it turns out that testbed kind of allows and even maybe encourages some behaviors with unit testing that are not that I find counterproductive. For example, it's very easy in the test bed to just import the whole UI components library. For example, the whole Clarity module as we used, or which is kind of a UI components library, or Kendo UI, or you know stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And also, it's very easy to import like the the always present shared module with all those 150 shared components. And the thing is that each of those things that you, you import on the one hand needs to take some time 
for the Angular compiler, Angular compiler to compile before you, it can run your test. And on the other hand, it kind of encourages you to cut corners while writing tests and just, okay, I'll just import the whole module and I won't think about what my component actually needs so I can mock that, I can create spy or, or some mock data for that. And with that, there are problems for, you know, when you need to maintain it down the line, when you change something in a kind of a different part of the application, which is imported through a module in that test bed, it breaks a unit test for a, you know, for your for another part. And these things kind of begin began to creep up and to to emerge as patterns. And also there was um, there was another very important thing that that I find that Angular miss is missing, which is when you generate your test with the ng CLI, they are ready, you can start updating them, you can start using them. But as soon as you add a single dependency, you know, or a method or whatever in your component service, then uh, you're on your own. There's no, you know, there's no uh, updating of tests in the Angular CLI. So I kind of went and went and did it. I said, I'm the maintainer of a library that's called Scurry, like SQRE, maybe like create, update, read, and integrate, which which is kind of the missing link. It can generate your tests for you. It reads all the dependencies in the in the component. For example, you you use the router, the service, and something else. It will create mocks for you, and uh, then when you have new methods or add some more dependencies, it can also update the, the, the specs that it created. So in short, that's why I don't like <laughs> testbed. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do instead? I guess you're using uh, Scurry, right? Yeah, so in time, I started using a kind of a builder approach to testing. So instead of using testbed to build my component or to declare my component and then instantiate it using the testbed create, I started using a builder function, a setup function, which says, okay, I'm going to I'm going to instantiate, I'm going to start my setup and then dot with, with default values, then dot with this person as as response, with that and the other and the and the rest, which kind of took away the setup code out of the individual tests mm. and and placed it in a in a separate location. It wasn't in time, I started calling that the, the setup function. And then Scurry emerged from that because when I had the setup function as a template, I could easily add to it, you know, add methods to it, add providers to it. And that allowed me to kind of uh, say, okay, now I have the setup and it's kind of a standard thing, standard as in uh, standard for my test, for my team's test. So on top of that standard, I can build a library that can create that for me and also ma- help me you know, update it when, when time comes for dependencies for new methods. And uh, it kind of grew. I just recently released 1.2 Scurry, which allows complete customization of templates. So now up to this point, the setup function, which was my approach, was standard. So everybody had to use that. But people kind of said, hey, this is not exactly what I need. So now Scurry supports the custom template too. Very cool. Armin, what does your testing story look like? <laughs> My testing story looks like a mess. 
to be honest, because every time we try to adopt unit testing because we are working on an outsourced project. So every time we're trying to create an environment and work, start doing uh, unit tests, we run into angry client that says, you know, we need something to do urgent, so let's just ditch the unit tests. But we actually were working on, I would say, a similar thing, not like the approach being that we're kind of building a library of helper functions that would help us like write unit tests and do all the do away all the boilerplates. But it was more like kind of tailored to our project. Like there were specific things like instantiate like components that do something specific and stuff. But actually, I was very interested in in this uh, specific topic today because again we have this uh, emerging uh, situation where again our client is like, yeah, we have lots of bugs. We probably want to have unit tests and stuff. And now I have a team of eight people who have probably never written unit tests. And uh, so when I went on and read Georgi's article, uh, it was interesting for me because I thought, yeah, you know, approach like this can also help it simpler to explain to newcomers how they can write tests. So I wanted to make sure that I understand completely how, how this thing works. So one question I had about this was, so essentially the, the, the main topic of, uh, the main purpose of teaching testbed is that we think that we don't need to unit test the templates, right? We don't need to build the components. That's the approach. And that's, that's, I like that a lot. So I think that I just want to know how you uh, personally or in your project are doing with the template. So I guess it's like unit tests for component code and maybe end-to-end tests for everything else, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's it. This brings me back to the initial question of, Ch- of Charles, of why testbed is good for us and why it is bad. And or considered harmful, as I used in the article, kind of a deaf clickbaity there. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so when when creating and testing components via the template, it's very easy to, to place some logic, some business logic inside of the template, and then you're tight. You know, you can't out, you know, move it out of the template and test it easily because it's already in there. Some other person comes and, and builds on top of that. While if you are constricted to use only the TypeScript file or the code behind or you know whatever we call it, the logic, then uh, it's very hard to place business logic in business logic in the template, which uh, helps maintainability down the line. Uh, and then one more thing, you know, I think testbed helps Angular team test their code. The ng4, the the ngf, all, all those things that come from the from the Angular team themselves. Mm-hmm. I believe they can use testbed to test their code, and they kind of pushed it around a little bit so it can also test production application code. But it, I don't think that was the main purpose of that. And out of that comes comes come out all those issues that it it encourages you to to write bad code, to write code, uh, you know, to write logic in the template, you know, to use selectors you know query query selector or stuff like that from the from the dom uh, from the document object model which they they are it, they work until they don't because something changed somewhere and now your selector doesn't doesn't work anymore and now right. you need to maybe i don't know emit an event on another component 
because you move the event handler to another part of your template. And from the from the part where you create the property and then give it to Angular to write to, to render it out, if the property is there, I can trust Angular that it, uh, Angular will do its job. Or if it doesn't, there are millions of set of, of eyes that are looking at it, and they will find the the bug before our application does. And vice versa, you know, I can trust Angular that if I click on a button and there was a click handler, it will call my method and not something else. So I don't need to actually emit an event on the on the button, which then will pass through Angular and then uh, up in my uh, up in my code. Yeah. In short, Angular is tested enough. Let's test our code that we write. What about custom directives? Do you think we, sh- we still need test that for them? Maybe if, if I write, for example, a custom directive that deals with the template, all right, like add, add something to the structure or whatever, do you think we should still use testbed and maybe create a kind of like component to test it inside? How do you test directives? So directives, basically, they work with the template reference, which is just an object when you think about it. And if my template reference needs to access, I don't know, the width and the height of the component of the of the HTML element, which is behind the what was it, the, the offset, something about the offset. So I can just create an object that has that property offset with X, Y, Z, and so on, and then use it in the tests. I don't need to invoke Angular, I don't need to invoke the DOM. I just need to test my code that kind of relies on the fact that there is a, an object with an X and Y in a property that's called, I don't know, something offset, window offset or something like that. So I have really maybe once or twice ran into a, 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 an issue that is really part of the Angular and, and cannot be really tested out. But it's, I don't know, it's, it's not something that happens every day. That's really that's really an interesting approach. Uh, I'm I'm just trying to kind of imagine in my head uh, how I would test the components that I have, for example, at my project or something. So I guess that would also play well with uh, if I'm using a state management system or something because I wouldn't have to. I can just even if I'm using something that doesn't have any mocks or any. A tool for testing, I still can like create the instance of a store or state or whatever the library is using, pass it to component, not think about everything that is going on in the, in the template. Because in most cases, we're, we're using uh, NGRX a lot. Charles knows that I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, starting from last month, I'm also a con- contributor. There is a blog page about the ESLint plugin that we talked on the previous podcast. All right. So the idea that got me thinking was like, yeah, now I can take I can take the state from the store with selectors, pass it to the template. So it means the testing ends there because I don't test the template. So now I can just go and test my reducers, effects, whatever I have there on the business logic side and just and my component, I would just check that I have got the data and if I have some side effects, maybe check for them. That's, that sounds really, really intriguing. Yeah, I think it's kind of a no-brainer when you have NGRX for the part that's your effects and, and all, the, all the stuff that's part of the store that you don't use Angular because why would you? you know, it's, it could be. Uh, I like to think about th- this part of the code, this business logic, as kind of a library that we can plug out of the Angular 
application and plug it into a React application, it will not change in any significant way. It's, yeah, again, I think it's very good approach to test the the store stuff. Do you use, what do you use for uh, mocking things? Do you use any libraries other than whatever you have in your... So, well, I do use, well, Jest and Jasmine, uh, which are basically the two most used libraries for testing Angular. They both provide mocking abstractions. But what I do on top of that is something that I call AutoSpy, which kind of says, hey, give me, give me a function that has something attached to its um, prototype. And I will walk all the proto- properties of the prototype, which are basically the methods in the class. And I will walk all the properties of the prototype and create mocks for them. And give that to you so you can use it, which is basically, think of it like saying, hey, my class component, for example, it will have my method one and my method two. They get attached to the prototype. And then this auto spy function that I use will walk the prototype and for my function one and my function two, it will invoke Jasmine creates by object or, or something of the of the sort, creates by or something like that. Okay. So then when you get that object, it will be ready for you to say, for example, my class or my component dot my method one dot end return value of uh, something else, which is the way that we tell Jasmine spies to return a mocked response. And it kind of also reduces the boilerplate because you can say just auto spy my class and just use the methods that you have. So, yeah, basically a mixture of the two. I use whatever Jasmine provides plus something on top of that. Again, that's kind of something that emerged from the, from the, the, from the years of experience. That's something that I had to do in every test, in every time. And repeat, repeating the same code. Finally, it hit me. Hey, I can, I can kind of move this out. I can take, uh, I can take this approach and or this pattern, I guess, and, and move it in a function. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I thought that uh, actually another big benefit of uh, not using testbed may may also be that because we don't use templates, we don't have to mock all the components, directives, whatever we have there. So just make the instance of the class and don't, don't think about the template at all. Yeah. Even I have instances of components that kind of rely on having a view child of a particular component. For example, in a wizard, you know, there's a step one, step two, stuff like that, which again, they're just objects. You can just mock the properties and the methods that you use and what's your uncle is. (laughs) So are there other places that you deviate from kind of the standard Angular testing methodology? 
Well, I think this is the one place where it's quite, quite, how do you say, orthogonal. It's mm-hmm. completely different uh, approach from Angular. And yeah, it's, it's important. It has informed a lot of my decisions doing testing over the years. And I still kind of prefer to test the, the, the visual stuff with an end-to-end test and uh, let the, the unit test functions and, and methods and smaller pieces of code. And I also, I kind of started to think about the tests as like communication, communication between me and the person that will read my code in, I don't know, six months or a year. And that person is sometimes myself. So when I have tested, when I have a code that's tested, it's easy to understand and to to change it, to maintain it. Uh, I also find lately myself kind of looking at the tests at a, you know, at a library with tests. I start looking at the test to understand why the library does something the way it does. And it's, it's a very nice place to get some of that mental model that I have during the creation of the component and place it in, in some, you know, in some text, in some tests. I really like the long names of the test, the tests, hey, when this happens and this happens and the components method is called, it should do all those things because it's kind of a, uh, I'm saying, hey, these are my assumptions. This is the way I think about the, this component. And this mm-hmm. is the way I expect stuff to happen when you call this method. So, yeah, there's another thing that's uh, kind of kind of related to that, but it slipped my mind. <laughs> it's all good. So what was it like building Scurry? Oh, that's that was it's still going on actually. It's uh, I just I just spent I don't know how many mornings updating the code so it can support custom custom templates. But I started it as a kind of a thing to do my work for me because I I was doing this thing over and over and over again. I said, okay, I know that my component has these three dependencies. I know that my component has these two public methods, and I know their names and I know their types because of TypeScript. So mm-hmm. these are like five things. I can read those things and then create some, some text out of that. Is that so hard? And it was kind of a way for me to dabble in TypeScript as a, as a library to read some text and get stuff out of it, get the uh, abstract syntax tree, and also dabble in schematics, uh, which they are great coming from, uh, from the Angular team. So it was very, very nice experience for me to to create that. I learned a lot about uh, abstract syntax tree. I learned how to use you know TypeScript to to read some some code and and understand is that a component, is that a function, is there a constructor? If it, if there's mm-hmm. a constructor, how many services or dependencies there are? How many how many methods there are that are public and all those things? And then it was quite a quite a right to also learn about schematics how it kind of abstracts away uh, on top of the file system and then creates a few steps uh, or actions, I think they call them. Maybe I'm wrong here. And then, uh, you know, apply them on the on the actual file system after. So it was it was very nice. And it still is. I'm still working on that actively. It's kind of my pet project. It's, it's the thing that I turn to to create something and feel good about, about myself. Do you have any idea how many people are using it? Well, there are there's some NPM statistics. It's around 800 to 1,000 downloads per week. But how many people? I don't know. Very cool. So 
One other article that you kind of pointed us to was where you were talking about angular unit testing. And I'm I'm curious, you know, how does this play into that, right? How does how does Scurry help you with that stuff? Yeah, what was the article? It's Angular test unit test automation. Well, it's about it was about uh, Scurry basically. Mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I wanted to present Scurry to the world, and I said, okay, let's let's write an article. And I thought the big selling point there would be automating the unit tests because I see over and over people that that start and want to do unit tests but have absolutely no idea where to start from, what they want to to what they need to test, what they need to skip from the tests. So I thought, hey, perhaps for some people, this could be kind of the the helping buddy during their unit testing mm-hmm. journey that will give them, you know, kind of first steps, maybe a template, maybe a standard to follow, uh, or maybe something to point and say, okay, this is, uh, this is wrong. We don't want to do it exactly like this. We want to do it some, 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 some other way. Right. So, yeah, I hope that people can... I hope that people can take some value out of that because I saw that during the stuff that I was building, it did help me a lot and it helped me. It continues to help me. This is the basically Scurry is the thing I use every time I create or update the unit test. And it's um, <laughs> I'm using VS Code for my everyday work. And mm-hmm. I also created a VS Code extension so I can just call that from, call Scurry from my, from my VS Code. And it's just, you know, F1... Scurry create and it creates a spec. F1 Scurry update and it updates the spec for me. It's it saves a ton of time and and, and boilerplate. Basically, Scurry <laughs> Scurry does everything that a machine can do at this point and leaves the the thing that you know you the developer the person the the, the human being that knows what the what this application should do. Uh, go ahead and finish up the test. Set up the set up the business stuff. Tested song. Cool. On a kind of parallel topic, did you try the copilot or if yes, did you try to use it for unit tests? Because I've heard lots of people going crazy on all oh, this is very useful for tests. It's that's news for me. So you can use copilot for to write tests? Yeah, I saw a video. Well, basically, uh, well, you can write anything with copilot. I actually wrote documentation with it. <laughs> The the funny thing was that well I imagine I didn't try to do unit tests yet I tested it a bit and there are situations that you can just write a comment like this is something and it will generate code that is pretty much relevant to that like for example in a- I tried to do that in HTML like I wrote like this is a login form and it just created an HTML with everything and even a remember me checkbox and stuff and buttons so it just infers what to do from comments also. I, I saw one video, uh, I can't remember who, who was that, but basically they tried to do the same with unit tests. So I guess it probably can be helpful to write like uh, a test case and say it should do something, something, and maybe, maybe it will generate relevant tests. They did manage to do that in, in, in that video. I just can't, I just can't remember what title of that video exactly was like. I, probably cannot find it right now but oh, man. Uh, it was very interesting i knew it microsoft is trying to put me out of business <laughs> <laughs> uh, well it's trying to do that to all of us <laughs> uh, sometimes for 
sometimes pop out just scary. Sometimes it's dumb, especially at in- inferring like stuff that is going on. But sometimes it generates code so specifically tailored to how I would imagine that. It's really, well, I think it's very a very interesting idea, but I find it hard to to believe that. I feel it's too good to be true. You know, something will write my code for me. And on the other hand, I can I can see the moving parts. You know, there's all this code out there. So probably someone somewhere already wrote this code that you're trying to create. Because, you know, let's face it, we are basically all writing the same app over and over, just the data is different. And the CSS also. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah. I found it very helpful for boilerplate. I mean, maybe writing specific yeah. logic in the business sense, yeah, maybe it doesn't know how, for example, the validations of my data work because it is very specific for the business. But, for example, writing NGRX effects or reducer functions is just crazy. Yeah, it just infers from context. Like, if I have several like effects written in my effects class, I will just add something. Even if I just give the name, it will generate a big effect with everything that I probably would have done. And maybe I would have to change a name or two here or there. It's very helpful for boilerplate. So that's why I think that it can like help with some of the unit tests because some of the unit tests are definitely like boilerplate-ish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I check yeah. for this is there, that is there before going into the large business part. I guess it would it could probably predict some of those boilerplate cases. I I would definitely have to try that. <laughs> yeah, it's my own it's on my to-do list, which is only growing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to try it out too, see what it does. But I don't know, is it already free available or do you need to kind of Going to a waiting list or something? Uh, I went to a waiting list, but it was for like seven days or something. Then I received an email. All right. I, I actually got it on two devices. I actually probably have it on this computer right now. <laughs> I just don't use this one for work. All right. Cool. Well, I'm kind of the one with the time crunch today because I'm starting a new contract and they want to meet in 15 minutes. So I'm going to push this over to Pix. But before we do that, Georgi, if people want to follow you online, where do they find you? Oh, well, semi-active on Twitter. I'm very active on GitHub because people send me issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's G Parlokov, like a single word, and that's everywhere. Twitter, GitHub, Facebook, LinkedIn, I don't know. So, yeah, I guess we'll leave it in the notes. So yeah, definitely. Can, can, uh, find it easy. Yeah, definitely GitHub would be the place. I have a couple of libraries, Korean and another, that's that are kind of being used by other people than myself, and it's the place that, that I check most often. Very good. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right, let's go ahead and do picks. Armin, do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, actually, this time I thought about what I would mention on picks before the podcast started. <laughs> so on my last birthday, someone, and I and I still don't know who that was, but it was someone from of my coworkers, made me a present, which is a book by Noam Chomsky 
called How the World Works. And I started, started reading a bit back then, but then I got caught up with work and everything. So it just stayed on top of my uh, desk. So I picked it up recently and I just can't like recommend it enough. It's a very interesting sort of deconstruction of the whole story of everything political in, in the United States and how that affected the world starting after the Second World War and how uh, the sort of capitalist mindset became the prevalent like approach to economics in the world. And it's also kind of very, it has very good humor. Well, of course, it's Chomsky. I used to read some of his quotes back then. I, I, I didn't read any of his books. Uh, but here it reads sort of like a satire on the A edge. Like it's it's about a very serious topic, but he's, he's always finding ways to like present them in a soft way that would make it funny, but make it also kind of sad because you realize that these are really serious issues that are being discussed. Uh, but I find the book very interesting and I would recommend anyone to read because it, it's not just about economics or politics. It's really about how our modern society works and how it got here from where it was. All right. All right. I'm going to throw out a few picks. So I've been doing the board game picks. And so I'm going to throw in uh, a pick for a game that I've really enjoyed. I think I might just go with the classic. So this is one that uh, was actually recommended on the first episode of Ruby Rogues. And it, it's it's a way fun game. It's called Lost Cities. And anyway, it basically you draw cards and then you you play them in numeric order and you move your pawn up and you get points. Depending on how far up the chain you get, you also get points for the artifacts you create, uh, collect and things like that. It's a pretty fun game. I've played it in a half hour. I've played it an hour. It doesn't take much longer than that in, in, on any game. And it's it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to pick that. Just want to remind folks that you can get pre-launch access to Top End Devs at topenddevs.com. I've been having a little bit of an issue with the Stripe integration there, so that should be figured out by the time this goes live, but just, just so you're aware. And yeah, I think those are my picks. Georgi, what are your picks? Uh, you know, when you said board games, uh, I remember the case when we uh, we were playing with my, my daughter and my wife, uh, a game that's called don't worry, man, or, or something like that. Uh, don't be sad, man. And it kind of turned out that we, between me and my wife, we got in this huge fight, which was kind of exactly the, the, the opposite of the name of the game. And uh, now my kid doesn't want to play with us anymore on that specific <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so my pick is kind of a thing that's very important to me lately. So for the last couple of months, I've been losing weight, maybe nine kilos for now. And the thing wow. pushed me, yeah, the thing, and I've been trying to do that for like maybe two years since the pandemic started. Basically, I was trying to, to lose weight. And the thing that really pushed me over was me starting to actually count my calories. And also I bought a few, a few smart like uh, items, like my band, smart band and smart uh, scale. Uh, which told me kind of a few interesting points about my metab met metabolism, metabolism, mm -hmm. I don't know. metabolism. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but basically, I started to actually count my calories, and it was it was something that I knew about for a long time, but I thought it would be very tedious and very boring, and it will it won't do any any good. But it turns out that after I started and I knew how many calories I had, 
it was so easy to just stop and say, okay, this is my quota for the day. I, I just, I just stop eating. This is it. And it works like, I don't know, like a charm. It's great. So I'm going to go and pick calorie counting. I read a few books. I've listened to people that say, just start for a week or two, figure out your medium. I think it's just count, measure, count, measure, and it, it will take you where you want to go with your weight. So yeah. Good deal. Yeah. I've used an app called My Fitness Pal for that. And it's pretty good, at least in the U.S. You can actually just scan the barcodes on your food and you just tell how many servings you ate. It's pretty good. I've been doing the keto diet and then just working out a couple times a day and I've been losing weight like crazy too. It's it's amazing how much better you feel just dropping the weight, getting out and doing some exercise. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exercising in the morning. That's my, I get up one hour before everybody else at home. So just I can have at least 30 minutes mm-hmm. alone. So I can do some, you know, short 15 minute exercise. But doing that every day makes me feel so much better. Yeah. Yeah. What I, I do that too, except I get up in the morning and on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I have a swim club that I go to. And so we go and swim for an hour. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, when I get up, I get up and I do an Insanity Max 30 workout from Beachbody. And then I can't walk afterward, but that's a separate, <laughs> I did it to myself. But yeah, it's, I found that if I need to make time for something important like that, yeah, getting up early is definitely the hack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also for me, early works much better than late. I'm kind of the yeah. type. And it's also nice. It's quiet. I used to do some recordings and I, I, I would get up at four. Just so, you know, no traffic on or no kids are awake. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, I don't think there's anything else. So let's go ahead and wrap up here. Thanks for coming, Georgi. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, until next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.